Say, do you have challenges in your life? Maybe difficulties in relationships, at work, or in your marriage, or with your kids? Who doesn't, right? Or maybe you have traumas from the past that just won't go away. Then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Goodbye Past Hello Purpose podcast, where we provide wisdom, insight, and tools to help you overcome life's challenges and live a life of joy. I'm your host, Debbie Kaminsky, a speaker, author, and coach. Now sit back, turn up the volume, and join us because you don't want to miss what's up next. What would you say to a young kid who dreamed of making people laugh for a living but wasn't funny? Well, in 1992, Darren LaCroix bombed miserably in a comedy club in Boston, Massachusetts. And in fact, as he walked off the stage, the headliner that night said, don't quit your day job. Ouch. Well, without a funny bone in his body and a willingness to fail, Darren pursued his childhood dream to someday become a speaker and a comedian. Now, I got to tell you, nine years later, out of 25,000 contestants from 14 countries around the world, Darren was crowned the 2001 world champion of public speaking with a very funny speech. He went from chump to champ. Darren now has spoken in over 44 international cities, including Milan and Shanghai, and he left his day job 11 years ago to inspire, train, and coach presenters around the world. He is the co-author of the book, Laugh and Get Rich, and he co-hosts his own podcasts called Unforgettable Presentations. Darren, it is such an honor to have you here. My coach, my mentor, welcome to the Goodbye Past Hello Purpose podcast. Mm, thanks, thanks. Well, I'm glad yeah. to be here, and I know where your heart is and how much you're helping people, and I've seen you share your story, which is amazing. So anything oh, I can do thanks. to help you, I'm thrilled. Gosh, thanks, Darren. That means so much to me, really. You've been a great coach to me. But I, I want to get to your story because you have a great story and some good information to share with us. You went to business school, got a four-year degree, bought a subway shop, but it didn't make it. Darren, tell us what happened. When I was little, let me back up a little bit. When I was little, I I remember sitting at this long table at my holiday uh, Polish side of the family with kawumpkis and pedogies and sitting at the little kids table. And <laughs> my cousin and brother are super funny. And they would, they would always have us laughing and my aunts are twins and they have this harmonious laugh. It's just a beautiful thing. And I remember mm. that I was so envious of them having that ability to bring that joy to people. And I remember how bad I wanted to jump in on that. And I stood up and I threw out a joke and I hushed my own family. Oh, <laughs> and I remember that's... sliding back into my chair as an eight-year-old kid oh. thinking, I will never, ever try that again. That's excruciating. Yes. And, and I stuck to that. So I was like, okay, funny ain't my thing. So I, as I grew up <laughs> through school and um, I tried sports, I, was, I enjoyed it, but I was usually the guy on the sideline. And I discovered in college that I loved business. You know, I felt like that's where I belonged, but I loved business. And I started my own business mm -hmm. in college and then it was a seasonal business. And then after I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta get a real business. So I 
Subway was new to the area in central Massachusetts. It was growing from Western Massachusetts and Connecticut where it started. And it was one of the fastest growing franchises. So I thought, Ooh, I'll get ahead of the curve and I'll be, you know, the wave will drag me and bring me to success and I'll be a multi-store owner. (laughs) There you go. Right. You'll be on the floor. Yeah. And I'll, you know, just, I'll just manage my sub shops and not have to work. But you know, at the beginning I'll, I'll, I'll work hard anyway. About a year into my business, they opened another Subway sandwich shop right down the road from me. And it took, yeah, it was four miles down the road on the same road. And it took all my profits off the top. Now, I want to say right up front, it was devastating, but I don't blame Subway. At the time, I did, but I don't blame Subway. We never grow and find our purpose, Debbie, when we're blaming other people. It's very easy to do that. That's for sure. Yeah, So I, I was devastated because I just, I thought this was, you know, this is it. This is my thing. And, you know, I got a business loan and I still had college debt and I put everything into it and leveraged my whole life. (laughs) Uh, So because of that, before I actually was able to sell it at a loss, because I did sell it, but it was at a loss. So I then carried more Mm -hmm. debt, uh, even though I didn't have a business to pay it off. Mm. And so you had so you had your debt from college, your debt from your business, you're sinking, mm-hmm. you're living, or you're living at home with mom and yes, dad. Yes, my still. roommates, mom and dad, in my childhood bedroom with my tiger bed sheets and everything. Ah! <laughs> and you're how old? How old? Are uh, you? I think it's like 23, 22, 23. Poor guy. Okay. So I, I was just devastated. One of my buddies gave me this motivational yes. tape of. And I didn't even know what self-development was. You know, I had been in a network marketing company, so I had heard some Zig Ziglar tapes, but I didn't realize it was a whole industry. And I'm driving down the road listening to, it was Psychology of Success by Brian Tracy. And he asked a question. Mm -hmm. It was great. I was like, I was fascinated. I was enthralled. And he asked this question. He said, what would you dare to dream if you knew you wouldn't fail? Mm. And I almost had to pull over the side of the road because it was like, it was just like a slap, a beautiful slap in the face. And I went back to that eight-year-old kid who wanted to make people laugh. And yes. if I could do anything and I knew I wouldn't fail, I would be a comedian. That would be the ultimate, making people laugh. Wow. And so I was just like, that's what I would do. And then all of a sudden, this voice of reason said, but you're not funny, Darren, <laughs> which was very true. But that wasn't mm the question what would you dare to dream if you knew you wouldn't fail and then it it didn't instantly Debbie become a dream or a mission what it became was I was at such a low point in my life that now forever I'm thankful I hated it in the moment but for everyone listening to this for you listening to this those down times are when we find our purpose when we find our deeper meaning They might be painful in the moment, but out of that pain grows your prosperity, like grows your mission, grows your purpose, as Debbie talks about. I thought, you know, listening to Brian Tracy and spending time with him in my car every day, I would think, you know what? The one thing that I can't, I can deal with bombing if I try it once, but the one thing I couldn't deal with was the regret of wondering what if. What if Brian Tracy was right? What if this guy that I'd never met, but all this, everything he said makes perfect sense. 
what if he's right? I couldn't live with that regret. So think of the regret in your life that you can't live with, that you refuse to carry with you. So I said, you know what? I'm going to try this once, just once. And if I bomb, I don't care, but I, I'll move on. I'll at least be able to move on and let go. The, that takes such courage <laughs> to do that, doesn't well, it? If it, it took courage, but I yeah. felt it would be more painful to carry that the rest of my life. So yeah, good for you. It, awesome. it was a courageous thing. But at the same time, it was crazy. When I told my friends and family I was going to try this, their natural tendency is to think of, they compared me to Jerry Seinfeld. Okay. You know, here's a guy just thinking about it to someone at the top of their profession. So if you believe you have a purpose, <laughs> if you really think, you know, I, I, this is what I think I'm supposed to do. Don't compare mm-hmm. yourself to people who are the best. Learn right. from them. Be inspired yes. by them. But do yes, not yes, compare. Yes. It's not fair. You know, mm-hmm. so I said, you know what? My friends and family, they've never been to a comedy club. They're not comedians. They really don't know what matters. Yes, it would seem from a normal person's perspective that being funny is important to becoming a comedian. Of course, that's logical. But I said, you know what? Let me ask someone who's been there and done that. So for everyone Mm. listening, if you got a purpose, find the people who also live in that purpose-filled setting and go to them or observe them, stalk them online and see what they're doing. Find out their story. What books did they read? What habits did they create? So I said, you know what? If I'm going to do this and I want to truly live without the regret of wondering what if, I have to go all in. Because the only thing worse than not doing it is doing it, but doing it half-heartedly. You got to dive in. If it's a purpose, you know, the purpose is going to carry you. So I said, you know what, let me ask someone. So that Friday night, I went to a little comedy club in Worcester, Massachusetts. And the headline, now I'm a quiet, shy kid. And so even to walk up to an introvert, no less, to walk up to a stranger who I don't know, who's a a comedian, like Mm. that was pretty courageous too. When I think about it Yes. Oh, yeah. But again, I carried that. I don't want to have the regret of wondering what if I did it all out. So fortunately, God brought me a headliner who was very approachable. He was super nice and kind. And when I walked up to him, I said, hi, my name is Darren. Uh, I want to try this. What do I need to do? And he turned to me and he asked a question. He said, are you funny? And I said, no. (laughs) And he said, good. And I was like, what? Good? Right. Like the Scooby-Doo moment. (laughs) Right, right. And he said, good. He said, nobody's funny at the beginning, even people who are naturally funny. You know, he said, and it was great because he used the comparison that, you know, if you take somebody who's a class clown, like my cousin and brother, who I were so envious of, if you take someone like that, and you put him in front of a group of 100 strangers, handed him a microphone at a specific moment in time, they couldn't make him laugh. He said, that's a different mm. skill set, but that skill set can be learned. Sure. And when he sure. said that, I was like, what? He just handed me an mm. ounce of hope. <laughs> like Yay. he said, you don't have to be funny. You have to be willing to get up there 
and make some mistakes right. and fail. If you're willing yeah. to fail, nothing can stop you. But you don't actually have to be naturally funny. You know, I've come to find out there's templates, there's patterns, there's, you know, testing, trying mm-hmm. and testing, even funny people. You know, it's one thing yeah, one thing was- to quote Saturday Night Live or other great comedians and re regurgitate their thing. It's very different to create your own. So he said two things. Number one, you got to get the book. I was like, book? There's a book about stand-up comedy? Well, of course, there's books about everything, but I wasn't thinking that way. And so if you got a purpose, like, get the book. And if you don't know what book, ask the people who are where you want to be. And so I went and got the book. He suggested stand-up comedy, the book by Judy Carter. Uh, I never heard of her. I never heard of the book, but I, I went and got the book. You know, back then mm-hmm. I was a sponge. I was open. I was eager. I wanted to learn anything. Just just throw it at mm-hmm. me and I'll grab it. And he said, number two, you need to go to open mic nights and watch other people just starting out. Well, duh. Right. You know, right. Now, just like my family compared me to Seinfeld, they were saying compare you to someone else who's going up just trying it. And that just made so much sense. But without having right. that advice from that person who is doing it, like, I would have never really had a shot. So I went and got the book. uh, And then on Sunday night, I went to this little open mic night, which I didn't even know they really existed. Uh, So I went downtown Boston, right outside of Fenway Park in Boston. There's this little club called Stitches. I remember walking into Stitches. It was dark. It was, you know, you could smell the stale beer. The floor was sticky. And I thought, ooh, this is cool. (laughs) Gross, but cool. So I watched people go up for their first time. And Debbie, they were horrible. Ah, so then you didn't feel so bad. And I thought, I could do that. I could right. do that. I could get up on stage and get rejected. Like I had made it through high school dating. Like this would be just another one of that. <laughs> and so right. it made it less painful. So I went to stitches every Sunday night for two months. I got the book. I read the book. I went through the exercises. I wrote jokes from the book that taught you how to write jokes. You know, I didn't even know there were structures and exercises you know, of course, yeah. comedians don't want you to know that. They want you to think they're just right, up there right. winging it. But you don't see the work yep, behind yep, I, it. Yeah, I learned that in your program that I went through. What was it? November, I was up there and talking with you and Kevin Burke. Mm-hmm. That was amazing of defending the caveman. I love mm. that guy. He's he so does such a great job. But there are there are structures to jokes. What? 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 So. Yeah. So you, so you were a sponge and you sponged on all the structure and you got some good jokes and you went, you said for two months, you went every Every week week to be re-inspired, to see other people who are horrible. And, you know, some people are better than others, but then he, Uh uh, then it was April 26, 1992 stitches, Boston mass. I I brought some of my friends because I knew me and in my past, I had a habit of chicking out, chickening out in important moments. So I went back and brought my friends and I told them, I remember like literally in the club leaning over saying, look, tonight is the night. I'll probably never do this again, but you make sure I go up there. I don't care if I'm shaking. I don't care if I puke on myself. You make sure I go up there because I knew me. We got to know ourselves and what some of our shortcomings are and surround us by those people who will move us forward, who will encourage us. 
you know? Right, right, right. So I remember it was kind of like a fog, like slow motion as the headliner that night. His name was Vinny Favorito. He called me up and he said, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to stage for the first time, Darren LaCroix. And <laughs> I just, oh my gosh, I, you've seen the clip, Debbie. I actually have the video uh-huh. clip of my first time because here's, here's uh-huh. why I videotaped it. Not to use it as I do now, but to prove to some of my friends who thought there was no way Darren LaCroix would ever, ever try stand up. I wanted the proof. I didn't even care. I just wanted the proof. And then now these days I use that clip in my keynotes to show how bad I was when I started. Right. And right. so, whole thing from, yeah. yeah, from chump to champ. I mean, you just nailed it. You, you really got it down. Uh, so I, I'm up on now. stage and I'm so nervous. My hands are shaking. I have my little note cards. I put them on the bar stool in front of me and I have my little jokes on them. And I, I was so nervous. I didn't like pull my hand off the note cards. And it's, if you've ever tried to read while you're shaking, I couldn't even read my own cards. <laughs> and I was, I have actually, it's terrible. And so I told this one joke about Dr. Robert Goddard. And if you don't know Dr. Goddard, he launched the first liquid fuel rocket in history um, and actually started, you know, our space program basically from my hometown. And now there's Goddard Space Centers and all of this. But it started with a tiny little rocket launch in my hometown and it only went 41 feet high. So one of the Uh things I learned, I've never said this before, but one of the things I learned from the Judy Carter book was like, what are the, some of the things that crack you up? What are some of the things that bug you or your pet peeves? And one of the things in living in new England is every town in new England has their quote unquote, one claim to fame where they changed the world. (laughs) And George Washington slept Mm -hmm. here. The revolution Mm -hmm. started here. You know, this acorn fell off of, Benjamin Franklin's whatever and who knows right right. so I was making light of that and I was making light of a few of them like the first dentist to use ether started in Charlton Massachusetts you know now laughing gas Um, but or became was laughing gas but anyway he used it on his dog so I was making light of all these things and then I said I'm from Auburn we actually did have the event that changed the world and I was telling the joke about the first rocket launch But if you're listening to this and if you've ever been on stage nervous in front of an audience, like sometimes your body does not sync up with your words and it's just like a blur. And so I said, this rocket took off and it went vertically. But with my arm, I gestured horizontal. Mm -hmm. And I just it was (laughs) it was like so disgusted with myself because I had practiced this a billion times and I was so disgusted sure. in that moment when I realized the mistake, I just said, I reacted and I said, ah, oh, shoot. Well, it's not the actual word I used that night, Debbie, but, <laughs> but when that. I said it, I became for one split second, real and authentic. Right. And they laughed. Because of the trueness of the moment and me letting go of my friends, letting go of my jokes. And for one split second, I became myself and connected with them. Their hearts went out to me and they laughed. Mm -hmm. I got to be honest Mm -hmm. with you. That was the only laugh I got. (laughs) There was some. (laughs) Well, at least you got one. There was some pity laughs. And it was a a big one, right? That was a big laugh. Yeah. And as I walked off stage, this other comedian put his arm around my shoulder and he said, don't worry, man. It's just your first night. 
And I was like, don't worry. Did you see what I did? I got a laugh. Are you kidding me? That was a beautiful <laughs> moment. I am going to become a comedian. I said, I don't care how it long it takes. There. I'm going to focus on that one thing that worked. And even if it was a mistake, even if it was a blooper, why did it work? What was it? I'm going to build on that. Yeah. Debbie, sometimes when we taught, start new things or we're pushing ourselves, we focus on those things that don't work instead of yeah, those okay. few things that do. And, you know, you know, the, the phrase, you know, what you focus on grows. And I, that's and true. I was still learning that, but I was like, I'm, I'm going to figure this out. If I can get rid of everything that didn't yeah. work, I had one moment of beauty. I just get rid of everything else. And that's very, that's great. Cause we, we do, we tend to focus on what doesn't mm. work so much, mm -hmm. don't we? And that just keeps us down and it keeps us digging that hole and it keeps us in that. I'm not good enough. I'll never be good mm. enough. And we do that thing that you talked about earlier, how we compare to the experts. Mm -hmm. When, what did you say? Don't compare. It's not yep. fair. Exactly. Yeah. We got to start somewhere. And you latched on to the one thing you did right. And how could you move that forward? Yeah, and it was, it was like was a drug too. Like that little eight-year-old kid was the one who felt it. And the eight-year-old kid inside me, who's like, that is awesome. We did that. And so I said, I'll take every course I can. I'll read every book that I can. I'll get every mentor that I can. And that's exactly, you know, what I did. Now, I was horrible mm -hmm. for years, but I didn't care. Like, And so you kept doing the comedian uh, gig. Yep. I got a part-time job at Bose Corporation as a telemarketer, which allowed me a lot of flexibility. I got a little bit of income so I could pay my parents' rent, uh, pay down my debt mm -hmm. a little bit from school and from uh, from college, from college and from my business. Cause I still owed money. Yeah. My nonprofit organization. <laughs> and oh, you know, it was, it was a journey and I didn't know, yeah. you know, I, when I thought about it, cause a lot of little kids, you know, young kids, they dream of playing sports. Like, you know, I love football. So I dreamed of playing in the NFL. Well, I was five foot eight. I didn't like to be hit. Um, I had a lot of issues and I was never going to play in the NFL, but when I looked mm -hmm. at it, when I stepped back and I don't remember exactly when this happened, but I stepped back and I said, okay, let me, let me look at the careers of NFL players and comedians. And I was thinking George Burns is a hundred years old and he still can do standup. Mm, Most sure. NFL yes. players, if they, even if they make it there, it's only a few years out of their life, which I admire yeah. that, but I'm like, this is going to take me a lot longer. And the, yeah. And then they're beat, they're beat up for the rest of their lives too. So, yeah. and for me, if I can, you know, if it takes 10 years, if it takes 20 years, but I can get there, that's what like yeah. said, I'm in, I don't, I didn't have any end game. Uh, and many times along the journey, I wanted to quit. I was like, what am I doing? This is stupid. I'm driving eight hours to Bangor, Maine from Boston for, you know, five minutes for 25 bucks just to cover my gas. And then wow. I'd be on stage and so, get a laugh and be like, that was worth it. <laughs> yeah, because it, it does. It feeds that adrenaline mm -hmm. and it's like, hey, this feels right. Mm -hmm. you, 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 now, one of the things you talked about, you and I talked about was about how we have when we want something that we we have to make changes and that there's mm. there's something about habits in all of that mm. what 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 did you what did you find you had to change 
for your habits to really get to this dream of what you really wanted. Yeah. I think when we're going for our purpose, we've got to remember or, or make any major change. We need the habits that will support that. You know, I love, I'm sure you've heard Patricia Fripp's quote, Debbie, but if you listening have not heard it, she's got this brilliant quote that said, tell me what you say you want. Show me one week of your life and you and I will both know if you'll ever achieve it. Yes, I have. And it's just, it's brilliant. brilliant. It's like, Mm -hmm. okay, here's what you say you want, but what did you do this week? It doesn't mean you got to necessarily do it every day, but if you're not over a course of a week, if you're not doing anything, you're not really committed. And, you know, we, we all need that reminder. But when I asked my mentors, Vinny being my first one and Dave Fitzgerald being another key um, mentor in my life, Every headliner I talked to, they said the one habit you need is stage time, stage time, stage time, stage time. Mm-hmm. I said, but I, but what doesn't it have to be right? Don't it have to be good. And they're like, no, 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 you have to do it to get good. They said, Vinny mm-hmm. said to me, any day that you don't get on stage is a day that you don't grow. And that mm, was painful great. and brilliant. Right. Yeah, insightful, very insightful. And so when I, you know, so when you go to somebody who's where you want to be and they say, this is the habit, you got to be careful mm-hmm. you listen to because when I, True. my friends and family, my high school buddies, when they saw that I would drive two and a half hours to Portland, Maine from Boston to go on stage for five minutes for free on an open mic night and drive home. And go to my day job the next morning. They literally said, Darren, you're stupid. You know, why don't you get a, one of my friends literally said, why don't you just get a job at a gas station? And, but they don't get it. So they don't understand what's important. The people who are where I wanted to be said, this is what's important. You got to go up, you got to bomb until you figure it out. And, uh-huh. and so Debbie, right now, my license plate in Las Vegas is stage time, S-T-G-D-T-M-E, to remind me of that one habit that brought me from stitches to getting to do this for a living, to flying yeah. around the world, like that habit. Mm-hmm. So if you got a purpose, you got to identify, okay, what is that habit that you need to create? And it's usually the scary, ugly one that no one wants to do. Right, right, right. So how did you get from these comedy clubs to be, I mean, now you have your own company, Stage Time uh, University. And I I just got to say, I'm just going to give you a little plug here because I was starting my speaking career and for those of you who know my story, I just woke up one morning in January and and I just heard God's voice say to me, um, you need to get speaking. Mm. And I, you know, threw back the covers, planted my feet on the floor. I'm like, I know, I just don't know what about. <laughs> I think I'm off the hook. And I hear forgiveness. Ooh. And I'm like, whoa, I've got to mm. do that. But I had... You know, and I have done um, speaking for a lot of my adult career. And I realize now that I was being prepared for this mm. moment when he had a purpose for me to get out and do what I do. But the, the, the point I'm getting to is that I was on the Internet and I'm searching for 
someone that I feel can align with what I'm doing, where I can go to workshops where they're not gigantic. And I found you. Mm. And, and so now you've got this, you've got uh, stage time university. So how did you get from being this comedian mm. to stage time university where you offer all these different programs now and help people become better at, at presenting? Uh, it was, it was quite a journey. If I look at the, the nuts and bolts of exactly what happened, the important, let's say transformational moments when Vinny had told me stage time, stage time, stage time. The, the horrible thing is nobody wants to give you stage time when you're horrible. <laughs> you yes, know? Right. So there's certain <laughs> number of open mic nights that a working comedy club offers like on a Sunday night. And, you know, Hey, if we have an open mic night, a comedian will come and bring five of his friends. We'll sell drinks. We'll make a few bucks and so that's kind of the model. But if you think about it, in Boston, I was lived outside of Boston, but in Boston, there's maybe three or four open mic nights in the whole state mm-hmm. on the east end oh, of the really? state. You know, most of them, well, think about it. It's at a comedy club. There's one comedy club in Worcester, which is central in the state, and there's like four in Boston. Like there mm-hmm. aren't, you know, there might be one in a bowling alley or something like that. But those are just like they're bringing in comedians for a weekend show. They don't have open mic nights because it's not like they're full business. It's usually a, you know, a Chinese restaurant or something with a with a meeting room in the back. They turn into a comedy club. So you have a hundred wannabe comedians trying to get on four nights. You know that Mm -hmm. the math doesn't work. So and that's usually Mm -hmm. only a Sunday or a Monday night. What about the rest of the week? You know, that's mm-hmm. when you got to be creative. So I was sitting at my desk at Bose and this newsletter came across my desk about this thing called Toastmasters. I'm like, Toastmasters, what's that? And I started reading about it. I'm like, hey, wait a minute. Here's a place I could get stage time during the day. Comedy clubs are only right. open at night. I could get stage right. time twice a day. Woohoo! I could fail twice a day. <laughs> because that's what I was told was important. And so right. um so right. I went and checked out Toastmasters. It was like 12 people in the audience that day and I was I kind of observed and I started seeing I'm like wow. These people actually are applauding and the speakers were horrible. I'm like mm-hmm. I need me some of that applause. <laughs> I need that encouragement. You need the nurturing early on. So it was a great environment. So when I saw the value of it, I immediately sought out other clubs because I'm like, there are other clubs? What? So I found community clubs. I found other Toastmaster clubs who were during the day. There was one at Hanover Insurance in Worcester. And so I joined like four Toastmaster clubs as quickly as I could. Why? To increase my failure rate, to get more stage time. And then (laughs) I found National Speakers Association and Mm -hmm. I just, I told them, you know, I'm trying to do humor and comedy and they're like, you should be a humorist. I'm like, what's a humorist? And it's like basically a clean comedian at a corporate show and only they're going to pay 10 times what a comedy show was. I'm like, what? You know, at the time I was getting 50 bucks. I'm like, $500? what like you know and that was just of course the beginning of my career I I couldn't even fathom more than that and honestly my my self-worth couldn't have handled more than that but that's that's another story 
So You're I right. joined Toastmasters. I joined NSA '94, so I've been doing stand up for about a year and a half. And I just, I never, never let go. And I kept stage time, stage time, stage time. I learned what the corporate world was. And I, I really, when I stepped back and thought about who I was, I realized I was much more comfortable in the corporate setting than I was at a comedy club. So I'm thankful for that training, which is the toughest training in the world. But I realized that's not who I was. Uh, I was more of a corporate presenter because I went to business school. I, you know, I worked in a corporation. I was right. more comfortable in that setting. And I also realized you didn't have to be as funny and you weren't dealing with, you know, drunks and, you know, right. in the sticky floor yeah, and in the, <laughs> you know, the naughty joke world to say the least, right. you know, I, I'm not offended right. by it, but being around it every day, it just graded on my soul. You know, sure, and I, got, sure. I have great yeah. friends who are amazing guys. They're amazing comedians. It's just not like my world. It's not where I'm going to sure. resonate. Yeah. So for us, if we got a purpose, mm -hmm. we got to find that place where we resonate, where, where we feel alive. And when I was around speakers, mm -hmm. I feel more alive. Even if I'm not the one mm -hmm. on stage, it's like, yeah, this is transformation. So one of my other mentors. Mm -hmm. So another transition. So here, I, my, I thought my purpose was to be a business owner. And then I found my purpose was to make people laugh. So r real quick. Uh, so Dave Fitzgerald, my other quote unquote comedy mentor, he saw what I was doing in the speaking world. And he said, you know, I would try a new story and throw it away. I would try a new story and throw it away. He said, Darren, take the stories you already have and make them so good. Someone will pay to hear them. Yeah, was a good I was idea. like, what? I didn't like, <laughs> yeah. I just thought, here's the story, you know, tell it a few times and it's either good or bad. He was saying, no, 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 uh -huh. here's the story. Here's what you need to get rid of. Here's, you know, the, the structure of it, like the jokes that I was learning. I was like, oh, but honestly, for two years, I ignored him. And in 2001, <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'm working at Bose, working my butt off. I'm marketing myself every waking moment and I'm speaking every time I possibly can. The one thing I wasn't doing was working on my craft. I wasn't improving my stories, my skills. And so mm. we get, as Craig Valentine says, we get really good at getting worse quicker because <laughs> we're not truly growing. Okay. And uh -huh. so in 2001, my mentor, Dave Fitzgerald had passed away and um, I saw this thing about this speech contest and I said, Ooh, you know what? This would force me to work on a story if I was in a contest. So I pulled out a story out of my keynote that the ones, you know, my quote unquote corporate comedy, inspirational, motivational keynote. And I pulled it out and I put it in that format in Toastmasters with my whole purpose to make the story better. Like Dave had, you know, told me and I ignored it for years. And so, uh -huh. I did that and I won and then the story got better and then I won again and the story got better. And each time, each level of the competition, it forced me to work harder on my craft. And gotcha. it was huge for me. And then there, uh, then I had to write a new speech. So I took out another story and worked on that one and won again. And then they said, Oh, now you're going to go to the world championship. I was like, what? I, yeah. Was that, that a, was surprise? a surprise? I, so you you weren't working? No, that I didn't even know. It just, it just happened. I didn't even know. Oh, really? I thought it just went to oh. your district level, which 
my district was like New England. I just thought that was it. It's a speech contest. It said international, but I just thought it was like some fancy name they did. I I, I wasn't there for that. I was there for yeah, my own right. growth. And wow. it wasn't until the higher level that they said, if you win here, then you're going to go to the, you know, you're going to go to Farmington, Connecticut for the, I was like, what? And then if you win there, you're going to go to Anaheim, California. I was like, what? Wow. And I, I'm like, I don't know if I can afford a plane ticket. <laughs> like I really, I was, <laughs> I pay, yeah, rent, I was pay rent and pay off my college <laughs> and my business loan. So yeah. Anyway, so long story short, I keep working mm-hmm. and growing and um, I end up winning mm-hmm. the world championship out of 25,000 contestants. Wow, that's just amazing. And it was, you know, at that level, then I was competing to win too. But I, my mentor, Mark Brown, kept grounding me on my intention and my purpose. He said, Darren, you mm-hmm. have the privilege tomorrow morning at 2,000 lives for mm-hmm. seven minutes. What will you do with that? Mm-hmm. I love, love and, that. And it grounded me. And that, and that comes to the, yeah. the second purpose yeah. switch. Because after I won, here I am, world champion of public speaking. And I go back to my day job, uh, working on my career. And one of my other mentors, Rick Siegel, says, Darren, you got to create a product. So I have a few CDs and learning programs on humor because that was my topic. That's what I thought was my purpose. And he said, Darren, you, you won the world championship. Why would you not create a product? You're really good at creating products. Why would you not create a product on how to speak like a champion? So uh, mm-hmm. I, it didn't make sense to me, but he was relentless. Thank goodness. And just yeah. to shut him up, I created this, this uh, four CD set, Speak Like a Champion. And it was just what I learned from my coaches and mentors along the way. So I put it together. Uh-huh. I got invited to speak in Malaysia. I had never even been out of the flipping country other than Niagara yeah. Falls, Canada, Man. going over the line in yeah. mom and dad's station wagon. I had never, <laughs> never been out of the country and I'm going to Malaysia. And so I wow. put together this four CD set. I bought a bunch of them with me and it instantly became my number one revenue stream. And I was wow. like, what? There's something, There's something here. here. And Rick, mm-hmm. you know, Rick, that mentor, he said, Darren, like, this is what people want to know from you. Teach them what you know. You're a good teacher. Right. And right. I thought, but the world does not need another horrible presentation skills speaker. <laughs> because I had saw so many bad ones. I didn't, mm-hmm. I, I didn't, I didn't want to. I, humor was my purpose. And then mm-hmm. he's like, Darren, this is what you do. And through this metamorphosis, I was, I started realizing how much I could help other presenters. And when yeah. they would get the ahas, I realized that jazzed me up. I love getting laughs, but when I could get an aha, so it's almost like Debbie before that, before 2001, I was driven by the ha-has after 2001 it's now the ahas. So I went from mm-hmm. ha-has as my purpose to ahas, teaching other presenters storytelling, how to create a presentation. And I loved it. And I'm like, this, this isn't even work. I love this. It's less pressure. Yeah. And that, yeah. Doesn't that just make it so great? It's like you get up in the morning, you're like, ooh, I get to go. You know, I mean, there's always the downfalls, but it's like, 
I get to do what I love mm. and what I'm good at. Why not? Yeah, it's like Monday. I got invited to speak at a networking club here. You know, 20 people in a in a prime rib restaurant uh, uh, teaching YouTube, which is one of the marketing tools that I, I use. And it was just, I couldn't wait to get there. Even though I wasn't even getting paid anything, I didn't care. I got to teach, help people, and just when their mouths drop and they, I see them furiously take notes, it's like, that's my purpose. My purpose was yeah. not to make people laugh. My true purpose was to inspire people, maybe uh, encourage and inspire them, and then show them how to tell their story and how to help other people. So again, I, I got rid of a different past, and I found a better purpose for me. Yeah, and you've really settled into that really well. You have, what, five five programs that you do live every mm-hmm. year? Is that right? Yes. And one big event coming up in March um, called Stage Time Alive, where I get my whole faculty together, and uh, we just have a blast. So the coolest part is I get to help people, and I get to work with some of my best friends in the world, you know, these other faculty mm-hmm. members. Well, and I think that's one of the things that uh, impressed me about you, too, when I was, you know, kind of deciding who to go with was that you have a team that's just so varied Mm. and people with all different kinds of backgrounds. Like I, you know, talked about Kevin Burke before and 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 you've got Patricia Fripp, who does uh, teaches how she and well, she teaches how to set up the structure of your presentation Mm -hmm. Um, and she's very professional. I just like that about her. She's not going to let you slack <laughs> and be, you know, unprofessional in any way. I love mm. that about Patricia. So you've just got a great team. And so tell us about the programs that you have. You have you have unforgettable presentations. Yeah, unforgettable presentations, literally how to put together a s- speech. We have better stories, better business, how to tell your business story whether it's like as an entrepreneur or if you work for a company, you know, just like what my mentor said, take the story you have and make it so good. Someone will pay to hear it. Well, make it so good. Someone will invest in your company. Someone will, you know, create that rapport. Uh, we also have a coaching boot camp where we literally bring in people like yourself and we put them on stage and we literally coach them at the event and mm-hmm. all the other mm-hmm. people get to see what coaching really is and they get a huge mm-hmm. insight from that. Um, and then a humor boot camp too, where we literally teach comedy writing, which Debbie, you were at that one and we I show was. people how to write jokes and they get up and deliver them and we give them feedback on how to make it better. So we go through 17 laughter generating exercises and, and uh, yeah, that was so good for my presentation, Darren, because it's mine is so is serious. Mm. You know, it's, it's got some such serious elements and you guys were great and 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 showed me where I could put in some humor pieces and, and make uh, just mm. lighten it up because we need that. We need to laugh as an audience. We don't just want to cry mm-hmm. and be in the pit. So good, good stuff. Is there anything else that you um, would like to share? We talked about. Um, what you say goodbye to, what you say hello to. Uh, for you, we're saying goodbye to, you said goodbye to. I said good, first goodbye to, it was funny because I said goodbye to being a business owner, but I realized it was crucial because I didn't want to do sandwiches for a living. It wasn't that it was a business. It was the type of business. So now I'm thankful for that because as a speaker, you're 
you know, to build your business, you've got to be a business owner and a marketer. And so all that was important. So even though I let go of running a business, now I'm on purpose. Mm -hmm. So I let go of that and then focused on the making people laugh and bringing joy to people. And it just, Mm -hmm. it was, I'm so thankful for that, but it wasn't the Mm -hmm. real motivator. I want to reach out to that eight year old kid who has that dream and help people and then help you help your audience through telling your story. So I let go of ha-has and now I focus on ah ahas. Yeah, I love that. And that's one of the things you focus on when we're actually learning from you is what are your ah ahas? What's your takeaway? And that's such a powerful Mm. part of your presentation. So Darren, if anyone wants to reach out to you, uh, where can they find you? How can they get in touch with you? Uh, Thanks, Debbie. So very simple. You could go to stagetimeuniversity.com. Uh, you could go to DarrenLacroix.com. I'm on YouTube. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. Um, but I'm I'm easy at the at the easy end of a Google search. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's so good. Well, again, it has been just a privilege and an honor to have you take part in a podcast here with us today. Mm. Thanks for sharing your, your, your journey with your laughs and your failures and, um, and, and your purpose now that you are really mm-hmm. on purpose, helping others create unforgettable presentations and presentations that stick, mm-hmm. that people will want you back on. So thank you, Darren, for all of that. Yeah, you've got to let go before you can say hello. There you go. I like that. Thanks for what you do, Debbie. Please keep helping, encouraging people through this podcast. And every time you get on stage, you have such a powerful story and you have such a willingness to be transparent about it. You change lives. Keep it up. Oh, well, thank you so much, Darren. Thanks again for being here. And for all of our listeners who tuned in, be sure to stop back again next week to hear more from Goodbye Past, Hello Purpose. Hey, thanks for stopping by today. Make sure you subscribe to our show. And if you liked this episode, please leave me a review so that we can continue to bring good quality guests. If you want more from me, just go to goodbyepast.com and you'll find wisdom, tools, and inspiration to help you say goodbye to your past and hello to purpose. Join us again next week for more tips and insights that help you get through life's challenges.